Can you please throw up my scripture? Let's go to Luke 14, 21. And then after read this, I'm going to give you my title, and then we're going to sit. Amen? Here it is. Let's read. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was what? Furious and said what? Underline this on the tablet of your heart. I know that you're standing. Do what? Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and who else? The lame. After the servant had done this, he reported what? There is still what? Room for more. I need you to say it like you believe it. He said what? There is still room for more. So his master said, do what? Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge who? One person. A couple people. Somebody shout anyone. Urge anyone you find to come so that, so that the house will be full. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to look at your neighbor and say, go get whoever. All right, take your seats, please. This morning in the presence of the Lord, I feel kind of churchy this morning, but I'm going to do as you guys said, which was what? Keep it together. So uh, super excited. This is week five of a sermon series that we're calling No Church in the... And this sermon series has been so much fun for me because I think it literally tugs on the heartstrings of Jesus because we are not as effective as a church unless we are going and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one thing that we know is that a lot of times there is fear, there is anxiety. We can be timid sharing things with people for a bunch of different reasons. And we talked about a couple of those throughout this sermon series. The, the hope of this sermon series, for those of you that are watching online, um, isn't necessarily for you to come to the building, which, you know, it's different when you come to the crib, though. It's, it's different. But uh, the, the point isn't necessarily just for you to watch, but for each and every one of us, we have some people in our lives that we don't want just to walk by. We want to bring them to the master, right? So a part of our faith isn't just coming to know Christ, but it's also bringing people along this journey so that they can experience the same type of health. Because I'm going to say the same type of health. Because this is the thing. If the entire body isn't healed, then the commission hasn't been met. Like there are people in the world right now who don't speak English that don't know Jesus. So therefore, Jesus isn't coming back yet. The word of God says that every ear has to hear. And once they hear, then every knee will. So that means that if everybody in your circle hasn't heard about the love and, and, and the, the beautiful grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, look at your neighbor and say, you have an assignment. Look at your other neighbor and say, you got more work to do. So this entire sermon series is really just to keep encouraging you. Because like, we know because of how the room looks this morning that you are evangelizing. And for that, I want to say thank you because your personal invitation is more important than any sermon I will ever teach. Like your influence in your family, your influence with your friends that are dealing with stuff, your influence with those people that you can't stand. Remember, I talked about that in the last sermon. Remember, you can't throw them away. Sister in the back is like, dang, I was about to leave them this week. I was about to tell them to go to, y'all ever send somebody to Charleston's and then you went to the other Charleston's and said, like, oh, I guess that's an inconvenience. You know what I mean? But we can't throw people away because if the church starts to throw people away, you know one thing, we're, we're like God's last hope here on earth. Like we're God's hands and his feet. So if we don't go, he can't. We get this thing mixed up where we say like God is in control. Yeah, but he also gave control unto man. So that means that if your heart pricks when you drive by the hospital, God's not coming down in a fiery chariot to cure cancer. The same power that he had on the cross, who else has it? 
So that means that even though it might cut you off from getting your Starbucks, you can stop in the parking lot of a hospital. You ain't even got to go in. You can park in the hospital and begin to speak your heavenly language, and the presence of God will come into that place, right? So yes, go to counseling. Yes, go to therapy. Yes, we're hoping that you're taking medication. If you're dealing with any type of psychosis or psychological issues, yes, but. Somebody say but. Like, yes, go to therapy, but pray. Like, yes, take your medication, but you need to be in a small group. Like, yes, make sure you go to your therapist, but some women, you need some women that are older than you, that's knees are crickety, that know how to pray you through what you're going through. Because one thing we have to understand is that medication doesn't get you through all the time. Sometimes the great physician, who is Jesus, he's the one that you need to know. But this is the thing. A lot of people won't know Jesus unless we refer them to him. Some of the best restaurants I've ever been to, the best movies I've ever, some of the worst movies I've ever seen as well. So, like, let's not get that wrong. But some of the best things I've ever experienced wasn't because I was so cool and so dope and I fell up on it. Somebody referred me. They say, hey, bro, this movie is absolutely amazing. When you get done with this movie, give me a call. Let's chop it up. Hey, bro, this food over here, I know you like pancakes over here, but these waffles over here, my guy, early bird, anybody love? Any, okay, this is me. Like, these waffles, they're different. And sometimes people will take a leap of faith, not because what they're consuming is good, but just because you said it's good. So the sermon series is so, y'all sound like save, save this morning. Y'all talking back and all that. I'm not preaching this morning, y'all, so you, but keep the same energy, okay. <laughs> but sometimes God isn't so much appealing, not because he's not a good God, but because we don't know enough about him to make him sound appetizing. You understand, you understand what I'm saying? It's, like it's, it's not that the food isn't good. It's just that you don't know the menu. There are some things I'll eat when I go to a restaurant just because of the fact that the server talked about it like it was going to like cure every ill in my body. Now, listen, what you want to do is I know usually it's an upcharge for the broccoli, my guy. But this broccoli over here, I'm going to slip you a bite. You can taste it. And then I'm going to bring you one for free as long as you give me a good tip, right? And you tip people at restaurants more. Why? Not just because they know what they're doing, but they make you eat food that you were already going to buy. What if we were able to do the same thing with people? People are going to cure their sickness somewhere. What if we allowed them to choose Jesus rather than alcohol? Like, people are already looking for something to ease their, okay, people are already looking for something to ease their pain. They're already going to fix their issues. They're already going to try to find a way to deal with anxiety and depression. But instead of going to opioids and popping pills, why not we put Jesus in a pill form and give that to them? So this sermon series is extremely important because we can teach you kingdom concepts all day. And it's great. It's awesome. We can talk about the magistrate and diplomacy and reigning. That's dope. I get it. But if you don't actually know what you're saying when you're going to reach people, they will be confused of what they're eating. So point at yourself. Say, I am responsible to feed whoever. So I spoke on, on this subject too, uh, twice already. Pastor Martin has as well. And it's been just like one-two punches, rope-a-dope style of like literally encouraging the body of Christ that in this next season, it's not about what you get from God. It's what you get to people from him. Like this next season, it's not going to be about you coming to the purple seat to hear about Christ, which is great. But if you're saved, raise your hand. You already know who he is. Now it's time to share him with others that don't. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Is that all right? If you're ready for the word, clap once. Here we go. So I taught a message, the first one uh, called Don't Go and Do the Same, where we talked about how we are not the Samaritan. Can you say not the Samaritan? 
The reason why we're not the Samaritan is because Jesus is greater than us. He's better than us. He's smarter than us. He has no sin. Like, he's the dopest thing that's ever happened. So trying to compare ourselves to a man that can heal sickness, we can't do that because we're not God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not God. But who we are is we're the person that's on the side of the road. We always want to identify with the hero. We never want to identify with the person that dies in the first five minutes of the horror movie, who is usually black, but I digress. I got to talk to you, Hollywood. Man, get some strong brothers in there that can, you know, make it to the end of the movie. LL Cool J made it to the end of uh, uh, Deep Blue Sea, though. That was cool. Okay. Um, <laughs> but when I talked about the Samaritan, that sermon was really important because it taught us how to identify so that we could help other people. If we know that we're broken, then that means that we should reach what type of people? Broken people. If we know that we're dirty and we're sinful, that means that we can also reach what? broken and dirty people. Like, if we're prideful, that means that we should, we should be able to reach prideful people. But the problem is, is that sometimes we get so saved that we forget we were prideful, and then we look at people that are prideful, and we say, I can't believe she would, but that was you, like, two seconds ago. You give your heart to Christ every day, every day, every day. Somebody say, over and over and over. <laughs> I can't believe y'all repeat that to me. The next sermon that I taught was Just Keep Sowing. This sermon was a lot of fun to teach because it seemed like as I was teaching it, the Holy Spirit was like putting me on game, saying like, yep, yep, nope, switch that up, yep, that's not me. That sermon basically talked about every single one of us has a field. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a field. And you got some people that want to hear from you about Christ, and you got some people, it doesn't matter. If Jesus showed up in the room with Chick-fil-A on a Sunday, they would not want to hear what you have to say. Closed on Sunday. You my Chick-fil-A. Kanye reference. Doesn't matter. Like, they don't want to hear anything about Christ. But this is the thing. Who, you're not supposed to water. We don't have water. Jesus is so cold. He says that I am the living water. So why would we try to give them water if he is? Like, like why would I try to give you something that I can't even purify? And Jesus says that once you drink of this, what happens? You'll, you'll never... You never thirst again. So then what that means is that our responsibility when it comes to evangelism is just to keep sowing. Look at your neighbor and say, just keep sowing. But today, what I'd like to teach you on is uh, uh, this, this conversation to provide you, uh, I'm sorry, to invite you to help us invite others to church. Very pointed. Very pointed. A lot of people will say in church, like, all those churches are growing and they, all they care about people. And it's just like, yeah. Like, you don't. Why would you, what? Two different restaurants, two different burger joints. One of them got a line out the door and only got three menu items. The other one got a hundred menu items and nobody's there. Which one you going to? You don't even know if the food good. But why are you lining up? Because people are there. So maybe if we made Jesus actually popular as Christians, then more people would actually come to the place to meet him. This is the problem. People think that we want you to come here so that you can give. AWC is straight. God has been so generous to us because we follow obedience. This building, if we told you how much it was worth and how much our pastors put down, you would laugh at us. So we're not afraid of like the principle of generosity. We give and it's always given back to us, shaking down, runneth over and run together. We don't want your money, but God wants your heart. Right? And I think that God is more inclined to reach your heart in a Sunday morning service than he is on your couch. Because you're familiar. Some of the best things in your life that have ever happened were in areas and environments where you were uncomfortable. So I think if we can start to make us, un we, we, if we can get people to the point where they are uncomfortable, I think that God can actually do transformation in people's lives. You can't lose weight and eat more calories than you burn. 
Girl, I don't know why this weight isn't falling off. Sis, you go to Sonic at 11.45 p.m. every night. But it's all protein. Sis, if you eat 2,000 pounds of protein, that's still overeating. So how can we expect people in a, in a wild world to know God when the trees and the vines and the atmosphere that they're in is so thick that they can't even hear God? So we have to go to the wild. We have to go to the places where you got saved from. But this is the problem. You should never be afraid of the place that God saved you from because 99% of the time he's sending you right back to that space. You're afraid of addiction. You shouldn't be afraid. That's what God saved you from, and you have been equipped to help men and women and older people to deal with whatever you went through. Somebody say amen. amen. So I'd like to give you some statistics. Um, ever since um, be, being put in this position and, and, and accepting the, the, the call to, to pastor and to minister, um, I've been looking at ministry different. Like, I look at church through a business lens. Like, that's my degree. I have a master's degree in public administration. And in public administration, what you do is you look at uh, civilizations of people and you try to figure out what makes them tick, right? Like, we look at water and we look at air pollution and we look at how a dollar circulates because that's how you can realize where poverty is, okay? So, so we look at cities from a 10,000-foot level, and I can tell you about Omaha based off of a couple of numbers. It's called statistics. Can you say statistics? The same thing about business is that you can look at the church from a 10,000-foot view based off of statistics, and it'll tell you a story. So this is the story. So I, I, look at your neighbor and say, he reads a lot. Look at your other neighbor and say, you should too. That sister back there said, I can't read. Sis, that's why, that's why we're losing church. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to read. I don't like reading. Well, somebody's going to tell you what to read at some point. Dr. Tom Rayner wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door. And in his book, I, I want to make sure you know I'm not just pulling these out of my ear, but these are somebody say real numbers. That 82% of the unchurched are somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. But the problem is that only 2% of regular churchgoers actively invite unchurched people to church a year. On average, of the 6.7 million people that are in the Christian world that call themselves a part of the faith, only 120,000 of those folks are going to invite people to church. Which means that people are making their decision about God before somebody comes to them to help them make that decision. Which means that people are having to go through hell and high water to make a good decision about Christ, but we're supposed to be the people that meet them before they go through that turmoil so they can make an earlier decision about Christ. How many of you wish that somebody was bold enough to come and get you before you got in the mess that you're dealing with today? I told a young person a couple days ago, she's like, my mom is so holy. And I was like, she wasn't always. You see your mama crying on the, on the altar. You, she might not tell you what it is, but your mama went through some stuff at your age. So that's why your children need to come to AWC to be in our middle school program, our AWC kids program, and our high school program. Not because we're not trying to make Jesus cool. We're trying to save them from some stuff that the people up here worshiping so hard are trying to get off of them. 60, 70, 80 years old, 30 years old, 45 years old. It's something that happened at 10 years old. But if somebody would have stepped in your life at nine and said, that, hey, you're a child of the most high God, maybe some of the stuff that we're trying to worship out, we would have never picked up and carried. Okay, can I be practical this morning? Okay, so then it becomes a part of that 2% of those people that are coming to church are talking about a free God, but they're living in bondage. So we're trying to tell people to worship a God that's a deliverer, but we're holding a bottle that controls us. People ask the silly question all the time, should I drink or should I not? That's the wrong question, and that proves that you're not a mature Christian. 
The question should be, is me holding this bottle going to deter somebody else away from a God that loves them? When you grow up, you start making decisions not because of your own personal pleasure, but because of the peace that it might not bring to somebody else. You see what I'm saying? If you're a vegan and you invite me to your house, I'm going to eat what you eat. I'm not going to mess up the vibe by asking you to put beef ribs on the grill. Why? Why would I do that? You invited me into your space. So if we're going to bring people into the space of God, we actually have to be free. Like you actually have to be delivered. You actually have to have the fruits of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. But a lot of people want to show the, the gifts of the spirit. I'm a prophet. People don't know what that means. You meet that person in scooters, they're like, what is happening? They watched a whole horror movie last night. You know what I'm talking about? Like haunted houses are coming up, but guess what? You're weird. So in order for people to, be, to know the Holy Spirit, we actually have to introduce them to the space to meet him. Somebody say amen. amen. 2% of those that go to church are, are actively inviting those people to church. In LifeWay Research, it's a conglomerate um, that literally uses, um, like, uh, we have an app at our church. They have over 120,000 churches that uh, push their um, statistics to this one company. And they, they look at giving. They look at people's interaction. They look at what people actually think about church. And this is the, these are the statistics. It says that 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be very effective in getting them to visit a church. Marketing in churches only serves as 12%. So it doesn't matter what we put on Instagram. It doesn't matter what we put on Facebook. It doesn't matter how cool of a jacket that I wear, and I know it's dope. I like it. It doesn't matter what I'm wearing, that you will reach people that are lost before we do. Okay, let me hit you with some more facts. Somebody say facts. Word up. 63%, yes, ma'am, 63% of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or a neighbor would be more effective to getting them to church than Instagram. So the church is going to miss out on a dying world if we keep trying to put money behind Instagram posts. So that means that we need to begin giving each person that's in the purple seat more tools to be more effective in the mission field. Amen. Here we go. Somebody say, uh, somebody say, go and get whoever. As I said before, this transition has been really interesting um, with Pastor Martin and myself because um, I'm being led and groomed to uh, understand what church is, uh, what it was. He's teaching me that. And we have conversations where I'm telling him, like, this is, like, where it's going. And because of that, our honor, um, I'm sorry, our, our culture code of honor and respect, we get to play that out um, a lot. And I'm going to be totally honest, I miss the mark every week. There are multiple times where we'll have a conversation and I'll say, man, that's old. And then he'll say, like, no, that's stupid. And then we come together in prayer, right? Because in order for AWC to reach its mission, we have to be multi-generational. In order for AWC to reach its mission, it has to be multi-ethnic. It can't be black. Okay. It can't be white. It can't be 28 to 40. It has to be newborn to resting their soul in Jesus, right? Because the church has to look like heaven. So in this time, I started to do some research. And like, in order for you to understand anything in your life, you have to at least go back 100 years. If you have diabetes in your life, in, in your body, it didn't just start with your grandparents. You got to look back at the track of what your family ate. What you mean? I'm just predisposition to have diabetes. No, 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 no. Like these things can be evolutionary. They, they can be developed. 
You know what I'm saying, right? Okay, so if, if you're dealing with dementia in your family or memory loss, like it's not always that somebody hit their head. Like this stuff can track you all the way throughout your family line, right? So I started to like look at numbers and I'm like, okay, God, like why do we go to church? Like what's the point? Like, like I mean, it's, it's cool, but Jesus never told us to build like buildings. He told us to build the church. So buildings and church are not the same. So when we look at, 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 at the numbers, in 1914, we have things like Azusa Street, you know, with William Joseph Seymour. It says that in L.A. that people came together. They started speaking a weird, funky language. It was, the, it was this, you know, Holy Spirit, right? But then out of there, like, people started to, like, have arms grow back and legs grow back. Marriages were coming back together. Like, people's teeth were turning into gold. Like, really awesome things because God's glory was there. But people didn't go to church after that movement. So then after that, we have the Welsh revivals in Europe. 2.5 million people come together, speaking all these different languages. The Holy Spirit comes down. There's a radical change. People have their lives. They give them to Christ. But then after that, nobody went back to church. So the Spirit of God came. He moved. But nobody went to the member class. I don't know if there are member classes in 1917, but, you know, I digress. Then you have people like Oral Roberts who will literally feel, you think the Super Bowl is amazing. Oral Roberts was standing in the middle, in the middle of a football stadium of 85,000 people. And the stage would be this small, and there'd be people right up to him talking to people about the goodness of God. But the Word of God says that of those conferences, only about 25% of them actually went back to a church. Then you have people like Smith Wigglesworth. I've been practicing that word all week so that I wouldn't do it. So somebody needs to give me a round of applause because I was good. I was in the office all day, Smith, 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 Smith and Wesson, Smith and Wesson. <laughs> we have people like Catherine Kuhlman. We have people like Charles H. Mason, who started the Kojic Church. So the issue was this, though. For 40 years, the church did a really great job of teaching people who were interested about the Holy Spirit. But it missed an entire 40 years of generations of people that weren't. So the church was grown by people that loved God, and generations after that now are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s now, and they've never been to church. So when you walk up to them in the grocery store and you say God is good, they're confused. Okay, when your high schoolers come to our young adults, I'm sorry, come to our high school classes or even in our children's classes, and we say, hey, babies, we're going to talk about Jonah, they have no idea who he is. When we say, hey, let's do John 3, 16, we go for God's love of the world. And the babies are like, son, y'all laughing because it's you too. Ready? Let's do it. For God so loved the world. I see you, bro. I see you, sis. She said. All you got to do is say watermelon, 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 watermelon. So it's this thing of if we start to try to meet people at the level that we're saved, everything that comes out of our mouth will go over their heads. So the effectiveness of the church isn't about how much you know. It's about how can you break down what you know to people that have no idea what you're saying. When you talk to somebody about Christ, you should assume you're speaking another language. When you, hey, you should assume that is terrifying to some people but we introduce people to the weirdness of church before we introduce them to the goodness of God that's religion somebody say that's religion so for 40 years we did a, the church did a really great job of bringing people that wanted to know Christ to Christ 
And as a result, we are living in a time right now where the average age of any person in church is 60 years old. Absolutely amazing. Them old heads, man, y'all different. Y'all know how to tarry and bring God down. Y'all could part uh, Lake Manawa today. Y'all could go stand out there and bring heaven down. Like, y'all can do it. But the kingdom doesn't advance if what you got at 60 doesn't trickle down to 16. So we live here at AWC. We, we want to empower those that serve here at AWC with our children's ministry, with our small groups, with Unbox, not just so that we can have another day to get in front of you so that you can come to a building. It's not the point. The point is to break this word down to a point where you can go and spoon feed the people that you say you want to come closer to Christ. Is this making sense? The church will soon be empty based off of these numbers and ineffective. But this is the thing. Potential saints have to be reached and discipled by current saints. The numbers are telling us that your personal invitation is more effective than any sermon. Look at your neighbor and say, I got the power. We're going to unlock it today. So me and my wife, we went on um, a, a trip. We went to Jamaica for uh, what was our first anniversary, correct? We decided to go, and it was a really great time, especially during COVID, because nobody was there. Oh, man, it was awesome. Virgin pina coladas every 15 minutes. I was just like, <laughs> like it, was, it was great. No alcohol, virgin, okay? They're like, oh, you just talked about alcohol. No, no, no alcohol, okay. But we, when we got there, um, we were really hungry. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like, we're the type, we, like some people go to like a resort and they go take a nap. Uh-uh. I'm going, drop everything, put the shorts on, I'm in the water. Like, you didn't even unpack your clothes, they're going to be wrinkled. Who cares? We ain't sharing the photos from this trip with people, no way. Okay. So we uh, end up going to this restaurant. It's on the beach. It's absolutely beautiful. I have on shorts on and Yeezys and a ripped T-shirt. My wife, she look a mess too. We just look a mess, but we're hungry. And we walk up to the door, and the guy that's managing the restaurant looks at us, and he says, um, you're wearing the wrong attire. I'm thinking, I just gave you some money with a comma in it. You're going to feed me. I, I said that on the inside. My wife was squeezing my hand, so she gets me right. But um, the actual manager, because sometimes when you see the first person with a tie on, they're not the one that runs it. Okay. The, the real manager came up to us, and he said, hey, it's no worry. Right this way. Right? We're sitting down, and nobody's at the restaurant. But then I started to feel super underdressed, because people that had been at the resort longer than us started coming in with tuxedos. So I'm sitting there eating like, maybe dude was right. <laughs> I didn't bring a tie. On vacation, I don't bring no button-up shirt. I don't bring no, I'm wearing Yeezys and no shoes at all. Shirts are optional on vacation. Show our pants. You just got to wear your shorts. You know what I'm saying? So we're sitting there and we're eating. And I started to realize that the people that were dressed up didn't eat better food than we did. <laughs> okay. We all paid the same price. We all ate the same food. But people were looking at us different because of what we were wearing. The same people that were making fun of us because of what we were wearing also had tables of 15 people, and their waitresses were coming to our table. They were waiting on them and being like, y'all need some more bread? Like, we got six baskets of bread. Like, what's... And the manager comes up to the table, and he says, sir, um, I just want to let you know why people are looking at you weird. This is the real manager. Some say the real manager. He says, um, uh, actually, our dress code here is button-up shirts. Um, slacks, maybe shorts, and you have to close your shoes. But this is the thing. He says, we really don't care about that because I could tell you were hungry. Yeah. 
He said, I, like, you looked, you looked famished. Then instead of asking what I was wearing, he asked me what I had been through. Okay. He said, how long was your flight? Man, we were on a flight for like six hours. And then we wanted to go to Chick-fil-A, but it's Sunday. He's like, oh, man, we don't have Chick-fil-A in Jamaica, but I'm sorry. Like, I can only imagine. He's like, I like trying to go get saltfish and aki on a Sunday or jerk chicken. And it's not there. He said, that'd be a bad thing, bruv. That's what he said. Then he said, what room are you in? I said, we're in room 20, 26, 17. He says, okay, um, come back tomorrow. The meal that you ate tonight is not on the menu, but we're going to make it for you. We didn't pay no extra money. I ain't got bread like that yet. Yet. <laughs> and it seemed like he was more interested in my stomach being empty than the clothes that I had on my back. Even though I had the clothes. I had them. But the church is, this church here at AWC is more interested in your stomach getting full than you scrummaging through your closet to find church clothes. That experience for me, I started weeping when I got back to the room. Why? Because if we as an organization are more worried about what people are carrying when they're walking in and we don't see that people are actually hungry, then we would actually meet people with a ham sandwich before we try to meet them with anointed oil. Think about it. We say some weird stuff in church. The blood. We're going to take communion. We're going to eat his body and drink, and drink his blood. If you never knew what that was, you'd be sitting there like, hold on, wait a minute. This pan we're in a pandemic, so I believe anything. Is this real blood? We're going to fill you with the spirit. You ain't going to fill me with nothing. Your glory, your glory. Why y'all singing for so long? The same words over and over. Your spirit lives within me, and I will walk in your... I'm ready to go home. And people can experience our flesh before they experience his faith. So the point of this sermon series is to not question why people are coming to our restaurant. And telling them that they're not dressed adequately to eat. The point of our restaurant is to feed people, not to judge them based off of how they came. That's why soup kitchens don't have dress codes. Hey, bro, you, you, you got, we only have 12% filth. You got 15% filth. You can't be here. Are you kidding me? Point number one. Somebody say point number one. The church is a table for people to get fed. Remember, the, the, the point of this sermon is go and get whoever. So this is where uh, you come to be spiritually fed, the, the church. The reason why you come here is because you trust that we that are up here, that are in small groups, that are the people that you meet that are serving, you, you assume and you hope and have faith and believe that we are praying for you. You're hoping that Monday through Saturday that we're believing in you, and you're also expecting that we are preparing a word for you that is based off of truth, correct? Every week, Pastor Martin and myself prepare a meal every single week, not with our own ingredients, but ingredients that come from heaven, right? God gives a word to Pastor Martin or myself. We take what God has given us by ingredients. We do not add in our own seasonings, which is opinion, and then we hope to serve a meal that comes from Christ to you to fill you, right? So that means that uh, our amazing serve team set the table. So every single person that you see, if you serve here at AWC, can you please throw up your hand? 
We say thank you to each and every one of you because if Pastor Martin or myself is responsible for actually preparing the meal, then it's your job, those that you are online that are watching, there's a team that set the table for you this morning. Your children that are in the children's ministry, they set the table for your babies this morning, right? Like everything that you see around church doesn't just happen. I remember we talked about uh, talking to um, my friend Chris, and people would come to conferences and just, like see the, t- the chairs and tables around, thinking that they just magically appeared. Like we just went like this. No, somebody actually took time away from their husband or their wife to come to the house of God to serve the vision. But if we begin to like disengage this thing, we'll think that church just happens. But people that love God and love people make this thing happen. There's no button that we press to make all this happen. People give their lives to this thing. Look at your neighbor and say expectation. So if you come here to get fed and we prepare a meal, that means that you also come with expectation as well. You come to service hoping that when they start to sing, all the mics are right. You wouldn't choose us if it didn't happen every Sunday. Can I get practical? You make a decision to come to this church because our lights work. If you came in here and lights were flickering and like going off and on and it looked like some type of haunted house, y'all would walk in and be like, yeah, we straight this Sunday. We're going to come back. Okay, right? You expect that when you're driving in the parking lot that there aren't giant craters in the parking lot, right? But the reason why you never think about it is because we thought about it before you drove on the property. We prepared for you. So if you expect us to do something and we expect from God to do something, then that means that God is expecting for you to come to this place expectant. That means that when you drive, when you're getting here, when you're in the shower, when you're making your baby's breakfast, like you should be preparing your heart to get something from God that doesn't come from man. But if you show up on a Sunday expecting to get something from man, you'll say, people will say that church didn't feed me. But we're not responsible to feed you. All we do is set the table. That's it. I go to this pastor, I go to this church over here because they feed me. They shouldn't be feeding you anything. They should be setting the table with the food that God gave them, and God is the one that feeds you. Because if I feed you what I eat, then you'll eat my preference. And my relationship with God, look at your neighbor, is my relationship with God. I don't want you to have the same relationship I have. He works with me differently. And I don't want your relationship with Christ because I don't know you. God talks to me sweetly sometimes. He be going upside your head. I can tell. I don't want that. (laughs) But this is the problem. Many people don't go to church because they have no idea what they're going to be fed. They go to a place with a name called grace, and they're told that they're dirty. And then they're never redeemed in the sermon. You're going to hell. Everything's terrible with you. You're an addict, and that's it. And they're waiting for, like, but Jesus saves He died on a cross for your sin. Like, that never comes. So maybe people aren't not coming to church because God isn't good. Maybe it's because we are not doing a good job of setting the table that they're going to eat at. Growing up, this was my favorite thing. When I was a little boy, um, we would go back to see my my grandparents. And at both sides, both my parents, the the Williams and the Wiltshire family, they're not related. But in Mississippi, they're like, you can't tell who is who. Like, they look alike. You a Wiltshire, I'm a Williams. Oh, man. You're Wilcher, I'm a Williams. Like who, like who, I'm your auntie, I'm your uncle. You're my same age. How are you my uncle? You know, it just happens like that, you know? We say stuff like, hey, cousin, hey, kinfolk. That's how it works. But as a kid, I was too little to play basketball, you know? I was also too little because they had the real super soakers. You remember the ones you used to pump like this? And then you push the button, it would rip tree bark off a tree. <laughs> too little for that. 
and I was also too little to cook. But when we were little, me and my sister or the other little cousins that are our age, when the food was ready, we would get the best job in the world. Granny would be holding, like, uh, she would have one of these while she was cooking, and this is the reason why I do it now when I cook. She'd be stirring them greens or whatever, or them grits, and sugar doesn't go in grits, okay? I'm going to say it every Sunday. Somebody lied to y'all. Grits are a vehicle for eggs and cheese and, and shrimp. If you want oatmeal, eat oatmeal. Okay. We can fight at the church, Mr. Chandler. Oh, you okay? All right. Anybody want to fight me? Go, go for it. Okay. And the best grits come from Waffle House. Okay, here we go. So, okay. So she, she, she would mix the food, and then when the food was ready, she would come to myself or my sister or somebody else little, and she would say, she'd go like this. She'd say, hey, baby, go tell your family that the food is ready. And now the little boy who was too small to play basketball, that didn't have no, that, that wasn't big enough to play with the super soakers, that wasn't old enough to cook, had the responsibility to tell people that the food was ready. Now, what happens if little Joshua at the age of six and seven decides to go to the restroom and play with his toys? People don't eat. So I'm seven years old getting ready in the mirror. The food is ready. That's too loud. Hold on. Um, we finna have some dinner. No, that's too ghetto. Come eat. No, that's, that's, too, that's too aggressive. And I'm practicing how I'm going to tell people to come and eat the food. And in our faith, you have been given the biggest job known to man. Your job is to tell people that the food is ready. Okay. Kylan, this is good to me. You didn't prepare the meal. You ain't even got to set the table. The word of God says that God is so bad, he will set a table in the midst of your enemies. So he cool. God doesn't need your chargers and, and your plates and your forks. If I come to your house, how many of y'all actually have one set of forks? They all the same. Y'all lying. See, nobody raised their hand. You got fork over here. You stole a fork from Charleston's. You, saw, you got napkins from McDonald's and Wendy's. You got hot sauce from, like, you got everything. God's table is set by him because he's particular of how people are set. So all of us are like little dark chocolate Joshua in Mississippi. Like, I'm about to go tell these people it's time to eat. They said I couldn't play no basketball, but I got the biggest role here. They said I couldn't play with no super soaker, but I got the biggest role here. And now I'm super excited just to tell people to come and eat food that I'm not going to eat because I'm a kid. My granny said the fish is for the grown-ups. Go get you a hot dog. Wait a minute. Uh-uh, these oxtail ain't for you. Go get you a hamburger. What? Why do y'all do that to us too, anyway? You don't get no catfish, Josh. Like, I'm seven years old, almost 100 pounds. I like catfish. I ain't big for no reason. Uh-uh, you can't sit with the ground folks. Don't get no tea, go get you a high C. What? Go get you one of them Sprite. Dig way down deep, it's cold in there. What? So, can I just introduce you to my culture? Okay, all right. Yeah. You don't get no red bean. Go get them Vienna sausages. They weren't that bad. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's like, Vienna sausages? Bro, you put them on some white bread? Sorry. Okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. You put them underneath the oven, the place where you put all of your other utensils, that is actually called a underbroiler. Just so, you know, it's not a compartment. Sorry. Okay, we country, country, country. But now I'm super excited to share with people about something that I didn't even do. The problem with Christianity is that we try, to, we try to woo people to love God, but we want to play a part in the story. 
But all we're supposed to do is do this. Hey, the food ready. Y'all ready to come and eat? And then this is the thing. As a kid, everybody's happy to see you. All right, cuz, I'm about to go get me some fish. Hey, bro, I'm going to slide you a piece of fish. Just don't tell your mama. You know what I'm saying? Then you eat it because it's hot. You know what I'm saying? So we as the children of God, we as the hands and feet of Christ, we should be just as excited to come to the altar, but we should be even more excited to share with people that there's a meal for them that is ready every Sunday. I know you want to go eat roast, but there's a, if you come and taste what God has prepared for you, I promise you, it's better than any sazon. It's better than any, any type of, of you know what sazon is? Wow, okay. Like, it's better than anything you could ever make for yourself because this meal that you're about to eat, you couldn't even prepare it by yourself. They don't have this chicken at Baker's. They don't, they don't have this rice at Kroger. Like, like, this is type of food that God had for you, and he literally gave his life for you to eat. So if the church is a table for people to be fed, then that means that the best position at dinner is to serve, not to eat. The best position in any type of meal, the only reason why your boy likes to cook six-course meals for six people is just to watch people eat. I don't necessarily cook every, I don't necessarily eat everything that I cook. If you come to my house and I cook for you, nine times out of ten, you're leaving with the leftovers because the diet starts on Monday. Can't be eating cornbread muffins at 6 o'clock for pre-workout. Man, I'm about to kill these weights. Remember what I said. You can't lose weight and gain weight at the same time. But the best part about making dinner isn't cooking. It's not eating. It's putting it on a plate, serving somebody else, and watching them enjoy something that they couldn't have gotten had they not came into contact with you. Somebody say amen. That means practically... We should be celebrating when somebody that you've been working on for months comes to church with you and sits next to you. That's them holding a bowl of grits with sugar in it. I'm just trying to make it practical. And eating it next to you, that should get us just as excited. Your worship should be different when your friend comes to church, when you see them online. Like, God, you're good. Look at your neighbor say, the best position at dinner is to serve. Let's go to the word. Luke 14, 7 through 24. It says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Jesus is at a function. He's at, it was actually the same time of right now, but it's called Ram Kapoor, right? So it's, it's, it's like the, um, it's like the uh, celebration of tabernacles. It's like the celebration of, of pots. But in this time, Ram Kapoor is the time where people would literally wait on God. His spirit would come and then they would eat. And whatever they ate from, like it came from their field. And whatever they ate in the presence of God, everything else would be blessed. So Jesus is sitting at the table about to eat with these people. And he realizes that the people that were supposed to be serving the people that were coming to the party are all trying to sit next to him. And Jesus is like, why are you trying to sit next to me? We already talked about this. The best position for you to be at dinner is what? Serving. When you are invited to a wedding feast, Jesus sitting down at the table giving them work. Just doesn't care. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't do what? Don't sit in the seat of honor. You're not the one getting married. How dare you show up to the wedding out dressing the bride? That's disrespectful. You wearing white? This is my favorite color. No, you're evil. This is her day. Stop being spiteful. Find you a man. Find yourself. God will find you a man. Y'all make that work out. (laughs) 
The host will come and say what? Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, it says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit at the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say to you, hey, bro, uh, get up right quick. This ain't your seat. Joshua, you got on a T-shirt. He got on a tie. Move. I wouldn't have moved. But anyway, then you will be embarrassed, and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Verse 10, underline this. Instead, do what? Take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all of the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Did you hear me, you self-righteous people? All of us are. We all think that we're greater and holier than thou. This is what, this is what he's talking about. Look at your neighbor and say, be humble. Be humble. Sit down. Yeah. Be humble. Yeah. Sit down. Yeah. I'm so, I'm sorry. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Once we sit and get fed, we become responsible to serve. The minute you get sat down at AWC, the minute you came to know the Lord, the minute, like, like small groups at some point in time shouldn't be for you anymore. Okay, at some point in time, what we're hearing up here, you should get to the point like this is the same, this is the same sermon. Yeah, you want to know why? Because we're only teaching the truth, and at some point in time, you should get it. So that means that once you get it, that means that now it's time for you to get up and start serving people the same meal that you're full of. But if you keep church hopping, you'll start eating different types of meals. And then you might catch spiritual food poisoning because you don't know what goes in everybody's food. Just look at your neighbor and say, be humble. Sit down. The lowest position at the table is the one of service. Because when you sit at the end of the table, they're really long. The person that's at the end of the table gets the food first to serve the rest. But this is the coolest thing about if you prepare food. You get to eat in the kitchen. Like, you know what I'm saying? By the time that your mama sits down to eat, grandmama, you, you ain't hungry? Oh, no, baby, I ain't hungry. She been eating all day. <laughs> little bit of this, little bit of that, little bit of this. Because this is a, a chefy tip. Taste your food as you're cooking. Okay? Stop bringing macaroni and cheese to the house and ain't got no salt or too much salt. Taste it! Uh. <laughs> Stop salting with pork. Use, use turkey. You know what I'm saying? Shoot. Is there pork in this? Uh-uh. You know once you put pork in broccoli, it's all pork. Anyway. So Jesus gets to the point where he's trying to figure out who should come to the party. Here's my third point. It's, it's, I want you to write this down. It's not about your excuse, but it's about your effort. When Jesus spoke in parables, the reason why he did it was because he was trying to reveal the truth about God in riddles. So the reason why we teach the word this way, if I taught you word for word, precept upon precept, and just taught it right out of the Bible, for some of you that are super oily, that would be amazing if I taught it the King James Version. But for some people, they actually need it broken down and made practical so that they can actually make sense of it when they go home. A lot of people aren't going to be able to say Luke 14, 21, but they're going to be able to say, be humble, sit down. Oh, yeah, the sermon, he said, yeah, put salt in your, in your greens. Like, you know what I'm saying? They're going to remember that. But the word of God says this in verse 15. It says, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it would be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't reply to his ignorance. He starts working on his heart. Ignorance comes out of his mouth, and Jesus starts telling, Jesus is so bad, you ask a question, he tells a story. 
This is what Jesus says. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests. He sent who? He sent who? He sent who? He sent who? His servant to tell the guests, come to bank, come the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. All the people that the king is inviting now has excuses, and they're too good for the meal that's being prepared. One said, I have just bought a field and must expect it. I just got some new shoes. I just got a new house. I can't come to church. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen. I just got my first Birkin, and I need to go to work because I'm in debt now. And I want to try them on. You see this Birkin going crazy. $10,000 for a bag? Why not? And y'all quiet. Somebody's like, he, hey, you, I better still get it for Christmas. Y'all, y'all being funny. Another said, I have just, um, I'm sorry. Another said, I just got married. Bro, you know what it is. I got married. You know, I ain't, I ain't coming to, I can't come to no dinner. You see her? I just got married, so I can't come. The problem with these folks isn't the fact that they didn't meet the Great Commission. The problem is that they never tried. You know how disrespectful it is in our culture if we invite you to dinner and you don't, just say no. Just, so, just say, I can't make it. Don't tell me you got somewhere better to be. That's the last invite you will ever get. And we having greens, cornbread, saltwater cornbread, you feel me, crackling cornbread, two types of cornbread, sweet, uh, sweet potato cornbread, three types of cornbread with chicken and sweet tea. Oh, you know what? I got a game to go to. Okay. Six months later, why don't you ever invite me over? Because you had something more important to do. The Holy Spirit will stop talking to you if you have more important things to do. Holy Spirit, where are you? I didn't know you wanted to eat. I, I didn't know. I've been inviting you, but you not show. I'm not going to make this food for it to go cold. Look at your neighbor and say, hot and ready. Oh, I can't say that. Next. Point number four. Evangelism begins with whoever. Come in, can you say it with me? Evangelism begins with whoever. Verse 21, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. The master becomes furious. Since I put all this work together and you telling me you bought a house? Oh, you don't understand my house is bigger than yours? Like, I ain't worried about no house. Like, I got all the houses. I could have given you the house that you worked so hard to get. Like, just come and eat the meal. Go quickly into where? The streets, the alleys of the town, and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The master has gone from going to the VIP list to going to find whoever wants to eat. There are some people in your life that are starving. Yeah. In their life, they're trying to drink, smoke, eat, sleep with everything away, and their stomachs are still empty. They've never eaten a meal that was made with love that comes from the Father. Go quickly into the streets and, and, and get the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room. I want to make sure that you understand this, okay? There will always be room at this altar for people that need Jesus. Okay? Just because you see certain people that are serving in a certain capacity or you see their face all the time, a lot of the times the reason is is because you think that there's no space for you to serve. But there's always space. You just got to try and find a way. Restaurants right now are closing because people are making more money getting assistance from home than showing up to work. So some of the greatest restaurants that you love here in Omaha are shutting their doors because the people that used to work there don't see it as important to wait tables. 
which means it doesn't matter how good the food is if nobody is prepared to serve it. This word that we prepare every single Sunday, I believe, is one of the best things that's ever happened to, to, to mankind because it comes straight from God. I think there's something that's special about us here. But when we don't invite people, when we don't evangelize, every single Sunday there are empty plates up here on the altar that don't get eaten. But how many of you see plates up here right now in the spirit that has the name of somebody that you know? Jonathan's plate is right here. Michael's plate is over there. Your friend Sarah that's dealing with depression and anxiety, hey, sweetheart, good to see you this morning. I don't know if that's a real person, but if it is, good morning, right? Like your plate is right here. And all God wants is for his food to be eaten. That's, that's, that's all he cares. That's, that's all he cares about. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge who? Anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Jesus looked at the servant and said, somebody going to eat this food. Any of y'all ever prepared too much food and people didn't show up? How did that make you feel? Unwanted. Probably made you feel like your macaroni and cheese wasn't hitting. If you find more of your macaroni and cheese in the trash can than you do on people in people's stomach, you should probably figure out a different recipe. This is how they throw it away. They go, oh, thanks, and they turn it upside down and push it down. It's a sign. It's a sign. The meal that we're preparing here at AWC is for four different types of people. And guess what? This person isn't you. Because all of us in the room, if we know Christ, we've been redeemed. We've been saved. We've been caught by grace. We've been caught by his mercy. But look at your neighbor and say, These is, this is who whoever is. This is who whoever is. We're looking for people that are poor, crippled, lame, and blind. Poor people are those people who, as we serve them, they will never be able to pay us back. Like we're looking to serve people that ain't got the bread to pay for the meal. That's what we're looking for. If you can't pay for the meal, you're perfect. That's who God's looking for. Because a lot of places will kick you out and put your name on the wall. I used to work in food service because this person doesn't pay. But we never know. Maybe mom brought her 16 kids here because this is the only meal they've had all week. She doesn't have 16.50 for a lemonade. These people that are coming to AWC, they're poor. Not in money, but look what your neighbor say in spirit. We're looking for people that are crippled. We're looking for people who walk different than us. That means that as you're at the grocery store, as you're at the mall, when you're with your families and you see people that live differently than you and they walk with a little bit of a limp, that's perfect because what that proves to us is that that's who we're looking for. The next person that we're looking for, somebody say lame. We're looking for people that have the inability to move. That friend relationship that you're in where it seems like they just keep going through the same cycle, guess what? God loves them too. And since God has your heart, he actually wants to use a lot more of his energy to capture them. You know what I'm saying? I used to get really jealous, like, whenever, like, my dad, when I, had, I would have friends over that didn't have dads. Because that's something that I, I asked God for a grace of because I didn't understand that. And my dad would talk to them and say the same thing to them, and I would get jealous. And, like, I'd be like, this is my dad. But I live in the house with him. I have this man's name, and his blood is in my, is, is in my veins. Like, why would I rob somebody of an experience with a father that I know is mine? This is the thing. We cannot love God, enjoy, and then not lead people because of jealousy. This is no longer for us. We should be coming to this place so that other people can experience a meal that we're full of. Look at your neighbor and say, get full. get full. The next is blind people. We're looking for people who don't see what we see. Every church here in Omaha is trying to grow. That's awesome. But we're trying to grow with people that look different than us. That's how, able to, that's how AWC grows. Yes, AWC grows 
when we are not predominantly anything. Do, do you hear my heart? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't live in Ralston. I don't know how to speak over there. You don't want me to come over there. I, maybe they don't dress like this, but you live there. And if there are hurting, broken people in your neighborhood, you don't want me going to knock on the door. Can I talk to you about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They don't want to hear from me. But they probably have borrowed sugar from you at one point in time. They probably allowed your kids to play together at some point in time, right? So the point of AWC in our culture code, we're trying to be multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational, and somebody say on purpose. I, we don't want this place just to look like one color because when you look at Crayola, there's like 84 colors in there. And God created and loves every single one of them. When we begin to actually fulfill Matthew 28 and 19, our church will end up looking like a Crayola box and will reach people that used to believe that I can't, wor I can't worship with them because they're a different skin color. Or I can't worship with them because they have a different denomination. But AWC, I believe that the reason why we've been here for 25 years is because in our culture, we're looking to serve whoever. But I'm on WIC and 13 people in here used to be and now they're business owners. Come on in. But I'm a single mother. Who cares? You need somebody to raise those kids. And yes, we know you don't like your baby daddy. That's fine. But we'll pray for him if you can't. But I can't sing on tune. Don't worry. The music's real loud. You won't even hear yourself. Come on in. <laughs> but I'm old. Don't worry about it. We got a mother that comes in on a scooter. You think she's old, but she got the joy of the Lord. She's actually 20 years old. AWC has to look like heaven, and heaven isn't black. It's not white. It's not party-affiliated. Heaven looks just like this. This is what heaven looks like. There are people in trailer parks here in Omaha that don't need more money in their pocket. They need a God in their heart. <clears throat> there are people in South O, Omaha, that speak Spanish that need to be here. There needs to be an entire sermon, an entire service, all in Spanish, just for them. So they can get the same meal here, but get it with beans and rice. Somebody scream, same team. Same team. The same team. Same team. We're the same team. If the other church down the street wins a soul, that's not competition for us. It says that heaven goes crazy regardless of where they give their heart to Christ. But I believe, can I be bold? Well, actually, I should have asked pastor. Can I be bold? It's not going to be anything crazy. <laughs> it's not going to be anything crazy. But I think that the gospel needs more servers. What is happening? I think the gospel needs more people who are not afraid to go back to the hood and preach the gospel. <clears throat> you know what happens on 12 and Grover? It's bad. But what if one person that had the light of Jesus was there? You live in the hood too. What are you talking about? Like, like you live on off of 17th and Vinton. What are you talking about? Like you're already in the neighborhood that you're trying to get out of. Maybe the reason why you're there is because God has actually given you a hot plate of food to serve to people that are hungry there. I think there are white families out west that truly and genuinely love culture. 
They're not afraid of the race conversation or the culture conversation. I think that there are, are people from the Jewish community and the French community in Dundee where a lot of our money in the, in the state is. That's where most of the, a lot of our money is. I, I believe that some of you are looking to literally come to a place where you can learn about a God so you can take it back to your hood. I honestly believe that there are single parents who can't afford daycare that need to come to a church where they can at least have one and a half hours where they know their children are not going to be messed with. But write this down. People don't eat if you don't serve them. I'm really hanging on taking this sermon series a little bit further by a show of hands. How many of you guys want to hear another one? Two, two people? Only two? Okay, only two. I'm kidding. Next Sunday, Pastor Martin has something extremely special because the conference will not just be Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Sunday, he has something extremely special for you um, from a sister from our house, a sister from our culture that doesn't live here. She's like literally across the ocean. She's going to come and blow you guys out of the water, which is awesome. And it's going to be our opportunity to host another nation here, which is why we exist. But what if, what if we had a service? What if there was a commission that today each and every one of us had a fire lit underneath us that we all just invited one person? Everybody raise your hand. If you invite one person, there's another 300 people in this room that don't know Christ. Look at your neighbor say, the gospel needs servers. The most amazing thing about the kingdom is that the food speaks for itself. Like you ain't got to tell people how good the food is. If you're living it, they can tell. This sermon is really about expectations. We know you all are inviting. You're doing an amazing job. It like warms my heart to see you guys like in your DMs. You send me pictures and on Facebook and Instagram like and you're telling people like, hey, you should come to church. Like it's the most amazing thing. That's awesome. But I think that us as a church, instead of just inviting people, we should actually in our prayer life, begin asking God to change their expectations of what they're going to eat. What if people came to AWC and they didn't think that they were going to get food poisoned? What if people walked into our doors and we stopped hearing that conversation? Well, at my last church, well, at my last church. Like, no, no, no. Like, like, what if we created a system of church that was so healthy that people came, found a place, and didn't have to be bombarded by religion? didn't have to be bombarded by bad relationships. When, when, when people were wrong, they actually came and apologized to you in your face rather than called you or texted you. Yeah. What, what if we created a culture here at AWC where like little boys and girls that you guys are like the different parents and they used to spend the night at each other's houses and they got to experience different cultures. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Our black kids had Brussels sprouts and our white kids had greens and, and, and uh, grits with cheese. You know what I'm saying? The little boys and girls used to spend the night at our house. They weren't black, but we put a bonnet on their head. Go to sleep. <laughs> I'm kidding. You might be thinking that I'm talking about a utopia. And you might be thinking that I'm talking about a church that we're going to turn into. But AWC, that's who we already are. That's who we've been for 25 years. A church that loves people and just wants to give God to them. But look at your neighbor say, it's time to serve. In October, I'm super excited because we have some new serves that are coming to AWC. Every single year, um, we, everything that you see around here, the reason why COVID didn't take us out is because people decided to put their plate down and pick up another plate to serve other people. There are a couple of different areas, AWC. Somebody say help. There are some areas where we need some help getting this food out. This is my commission to you. Because at some point in time, coming, just to, coming to the service just to sit and hear me speak is going to get boring. 
Anybody. Yeah, anybody, really. Yeah. Tina can't lead worship forever. We need some more people that can sing. And you might think that there's no space here because there's eight people up here, but we need you, especially if you don't look like us, because then we can reach God for the kingdom of people that look like you. Our band is not multicultural enough yet. We can't just look like heaven in the pew. We got to look like heaven, somebody say everywhere. And it has to be made of whoever. We need your help delivering this meal of salvation to those who are in need. And some of you might be called to greeting because you genuinely expect others to walk through the door. There's a reason why we don't put some people in greeting because your face is really strong. (laughs) Praise God. No, no. Uh Uh-uh. No. You got holes in your jeans. What? Come on, bro. Chill out. You know what I'm saying? You don't want somebody hard face. welcome to the kingdom of God. You don't want that. Some of you might be called to be a part of our connections and, and be a part of our first impressions in ushering, giving people a VIP seat to freedom. I love ushers. That was the first place that I actually served. And, and um, a guy by the name of Mark, uh, um, Mr. Mike Town, not Mr. Mike Terrell. You guys remember Mr. Mike Terrell? Mr. Mike Terrell told me, he says, Joshua, you get to give them a VIP seat to the grace of God. He didn't say you have to sit them like this and then you have to turn around and then you can't, you got to have two people up front. No, he said like every time you sit somebody, God has their name on it. You got to be excited about it. Man, I was lit. Bro, this is your seat. Grace is right here. This is your seat. Faith is right here. And then what happens is, is that the church starts to look like people that are ready for you. You might be interested in student ministries and working with our babies, K through five and AWC kids or middle school or high school, but you're one of those people that's fo- that you're, you're seriously fired up to round up the next generation of kingdom believers. You might be interested in the worship team. You got to be able to sing. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. But you might be called to literally be rambunctious here upon a stage singing about God's grace, but you want to do it with people that look like heaven. You might play an instrument. Uh, you might want to be a small group leader. You might have the ability to teach the word of God in a way that people won't be able to hear from somebody up here, but they'll listen in your living room. Because guess what? The meal that we serve here is also served in your living room. Same thing. God's meal isn't just served here. When you take it wherever it goes, it's always hot. Look at your neighbor say, it's always hot. You might have um, a serve to help in the parking lot because y'all park really weird. Y'all be flying through that parking lot. Here I go. Y'all be going crazy. I'm going to use that for a bumper, Catlin. Some of you might want to be a part of our, uh, we have an honor and respect ministry here where our seasoned saints, they shouldn't be walking down the hallways by themselves. Do you know that there are some women here at this church whose husbands passed away years ago, but they haven't walked down that hallway without a man walking them since he passed? That's ministry. That a young man said, I know your husband's not here, but you don't got to walk this hallway by yourself. AWC, we're about to walk into another season because this is nothing new. Our pastors have been doing this with us for 25 years. But we're in a season, y'all, in October, where it's time for us to start serving the house of God in a way that makes people want what we smell like. Like, you smell like some good chicken. Like, I didn't even eat no chicken, but I was in the kitchen. The most important thing about the sermon series, which I'm, I'm so excited, is that we have the most amazing meal known to man. Think about the message of grace. 
God loved you despite knowing what you did. While you were doing it, he still said, that really doesn't bother me. Get done with what you're going to do. I got grace for that. When you're done, I'm going to apply my mercy, and you're still being called. Jesus used David. Everybody talks about David, David. No, David was a terrible person, but God still used him. So why can't he use you?